0: Welcome to the Food Freedom Fertility Podcast. Here, we discuss the challenging, rewarding, and life-changing process of recovering your period and finding freedom with food and exercise. Whether you're hoping to regain your cycle to get your health back on track, or you're ready to become a mama, this podcast is for you. While the recovery process isn't always rainbows and butterflies, it's my hope to bring you both information and inspiration during your own recovery journey. I'm your host, registered dietitian and fellow HA woman, Lindsay Lesson. So welcome, Natalie. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I'm so glad to finally connect with you. I feel like I have found you on social media and just so love sharing all of the wonderful content that you have. And I know we've connected a little bit over DM and I think you just have such a great message that so many people need to hear so um read your bio, but you are a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and disordered eating. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so what, Natalie, what kind of got you into this career path? You know, I kind of
1: stumbled into it accidentally, but when I look back at my life, it makes a lot of sense why I ended up in this role. So I would say that from the eating disorder perspective, I definitely struggled with disordered eating myself, probably well over 10 years I started struggling with my body image when I was as young as six or seven years old. Like I remember standing in front of the mirror, almost crying to my mom about how I hated my thighs and my arms, or I wanted to be thinner. I always compared myself to my friends and other girls. And I even wanted to change my name at some point. Like I just wanted to change everything about myself. And as I matured and started going through puberty, things got worse because my body was changing rapidly. Um, I think in the seventh grade, I grew three bra sizes, like from the beginning to the end of the year, things were just changing so fast, my skin, my whole body. And also during that time, there's these added social pressures of wanting to fit in. And social comparison is just out of control at that time in adolescence. So I started wearing an excessive amount of makeup to hide my skin. I'd experiment with eating less and exercising. And at one point I was struggling really badly with both socially and academically. So I thought maybe switching schools would help. And from an eating disorder standpoint, things just got worse because Mm I felt like I couldn't bear going to a new school and meeting new people without looking right or fitting the ideal of what i thought was acceptable so i like i really felt i needed to lose weight and i don't know how i came up with these rules of what and how much to eat but i just started restricting significantly lost a lot of weight in a short period of time and unfortunately i received a lot of attention for it i got a lot of praise for how i looked I was known for being the little one. So my identity was starting to build based around being small and thin. And I learned that if I looked thin, I could gain respect and connection. But as we know, restriction either goes one of two ways. Either you keep restricting and you get very, very sick and die in some cases, or you start binge eating as a survival response. So I had these uncontrollable binges. And they weren't all in secrecy. Sometimes they would bully, I would eat ridiculously large amounts of food in front of other people, you know, at parties or at their houses or whatever. And even that was praised because I was small. So it was like, oh, you're so tiny. How do you eat so much? And so it became this vicious cycle of binging, which felt really great. But then also feeling guilty after that, restricting again, which also felt great because weight loss felt like it was the answer. And so this vicious cycle went on for years. My weight started fluctuating um, significantly, I could never really get back down to how low I was the first time. And so you just I constantly felt like a failure. In university, I struggled a lot with binge eating. I had a heart condition, which I was born with, but it just started impacting me in high school because of just different things like drinking alcohol would trigger it. So I had to stop drinking alcohol and I had to stop exercising. And those were my two coping mechanisms. Yeah. So naturally, I leaned more into binge eating and then I was gaining weight as a result and then isolating myself. So it just went down a pretty bad path. I started dieting, like trying all the different diets, plant-based diets, protein-only diets, low-carb diets, and that just made the binging worse. One other thing that was sort of on my journey with this was um, my mom had cancer. So both of us actually dove into the wellness culture and Mm tried. we're trying a bunch of natural alternative methods for healing. So I adopted a bit of an obsession with healthy foods and wellness at that point. So that also threw a curveball into the mix. And after my mom passed away, the grief hit me a few months later. And that's when I saw my first therapist. And so I saw a therapist for a couple of years. And even though the therapy wasn't specifically targeted towards eating, Mm -hmm. I learned how to cope with my emotions and how to get more in tune with my perceptions. And as I gained more skills in getting to know myself and coping with emotions, my disordered eating actually radically diminished as a result. So I wasn't binging anymore. I was eating regularly. I still had, you know was leaning towards healthy foods and wellness culture, which is something Mm -hmm. I continued to work on through the years after that. But that was sort of that was something that was really helpful and also led me down the path of becoming a therapist. So I'll wrap up the end of my story quickly. But basically, (laughs) I was working as a psychometrist, which is, you know, you're doing assessments for people in a psychology office. And I realized I wanted to start helping people. So I went and did my master's in clinical and counseling psychology. And as I was doing my master's, I started an Instagram account as kind of like a a healthy outlet for my creativity. So I was posting my breakfast bowls, like pretty Uh colorful breakfast bowls, and also blogging about how I overcame dieting and just chose Mm -hmm. to, you know, stop trying to lose weight, just eat, focus on eating, you know, nourishing foods and exercising because you want to not because you feel like you have to. And so I gained a following that way. And this really lovely community of people on Instagram. And I started getting a lot of questions that I actually didn't know how to answer from personal experience. So people would ask me, how do you stop calorie counting? And for me, even though I had, of course, I had calorie counted in the past. It wasn't something that I had ever developed an obsession around. Yeah, don't know why. I just, uh, some days I would do it, some days I would forget. So I didn't know how to answer those questions. So I started researching more and more into eating disorders. So my practice kind of merged with eating disorder treatment, kind of because of my um, involvement on Instagram and my community. So it sort of all became one way. I switched my path in therapy towards treating eating disorders. And here I am.
0: That is so interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that it all came about that way. I would have just assumed that you went to school to become a therapist. And because you had struggled with an eating disorder and disordered eating in the past, that that was just something that naturally fell into place. But that is is so cool. And I love that. I think it's interesting that Instagram like took you that way. But as we know, there's a lot of disordered eating on Instagram. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious too, because um, I started my practice in 2020. That was the the beginning of the pandemic and Mm -hmm. everything that's been happening with COVID. And I'm curious because I feel like I've i have read about this, but I just am curious if you've noticed this trend in your practice too, in just a general increase in disordered eating and eating disorders since the pandemic.
1: Oh, definitely. Here in Canada, our hospital-based treatment programs are completely full. Like ever since the pandemic, there's a wait list of about a year and a half to two years because eating disorders just skyrocketed over the pandemic. And I think it just goes to show that when you have limited control over other things in your life or there's chaos happening and you don't know how to cope, food and body or weight is one thing that people find control in. And it's it's so true. I mean, we can control what we eat. Um, there's always that feeling of having optimism when you decide to go on a diet or you decide to eat like, quote, unquote, clean, and it gives you some kind of false sense of control. Yes. Um. So I think that's one thing that really triggered the rise in eating disorders over the pandemic.
0: I've also noticed too a lot of the people that I've visited with that tended to fall into disordered eating and eating disorders around that time, had like, generally good intentions. Like they were like, I am going to start exercising more. I'm going to clean up my diet or whatever the heck that means. Um, so they had like, just like very, like, Nobody says like, oh, I'm going to develop an eating disorder. Like, I don't think that that's ever anyone's like actual intention and somehow it just happens. And so it's interesting the way that things can just spiral. I think especially whenever people have too much time and they're isolated and maybe they're spending too much time on social media comparing. So kind of like the perfect storm, I suppose.
1: Exactly. I completely agree. It starts with good intentions. And I think that's where Instagram can become so tricky. And I've experienced that as well too. Although I did have, I've had both positive and negative experiences with Instagram. So Instagram wellness culture is something that you can do a deep dive into and just completely become engulfed by it. And as soon as you start liking and clicking some stuff, you get, you know, other information is pushed to you. So you quickly become immersed in wellness culture where you're seeing, you know, which foods are good, which are bad. You're seeing these perfectly aesthetic, meals um, that are maybe not necessarily balanced. And it just completely takes over your view and your ideals about food. On the other hand, during the pandemic actually was when I would say that I I probably let go of any kind of lingering food rules or restrictions or beliefs that I had about food, because I, I got onto the anti-diet side of, yeah. <laughs> of wellness, right? And Um, There's so many great accounts where you can learn how all of those beliefs that you had about food are myths just perpetuated by an industry that makes a lot of money off of selling ideals like that, right? So it almost Instagram got me down that tunnel. And then it also got me out on the right side of it.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize as they're scrolling is that... You kind of create your own feed. So if you're constantly clicking on bikini models, then that's all that's going to show up on your explore page, and that's the content that's going to get pushed to you. Same too with you know a vegan diet or um, you know being a runner or whatever. And so I think it's I think that's a really good point. You know, if somebody's trying to set some boundaries in social media, and I, I think there's been a lot of research, unfortunately. And I agree with you, Natalie. I think I personally feel like. There are accounts on social media that have really helped the last 10% of healing from my own eating disorder that took me way too long to do because I was stuck in this quasi-recovery for so long. But there's also really bad things that happen with social media. I'm curious, what ha- what kind of trends have you noticed the most on Instagram since starting your account that tend to sort of perpetuate eating disorders? The
1: first trend that comes to my mind are the what I eat in a day videos. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's so tricky, because most of them start off with a with a body shot, like an image of someone in a very thin body. So it, it inadvertently sends the message that if you eat like this, you can look like me. And That's not the case because you never know what's going on behind these What I Eat in a Day videos. I mean, they're curated. A person plans ahead of time what they're going to show in this video, what they're going to have. They probably, you know, either film it all at once or, you know, you just never know what's going on behind it. And also everyone's needs are vastly different. So by following exactly what this person's eating, you could actually be doing a lot of harm to yourself.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I think that um, I've even talked about that before on this podcast is like, even if somebody has some really good intentions, like I, I choose to not participate in that trend for a number of reasons. But if I were to do that, I would probably not give an accurate reflection of how I actually eat. Because to your point, I would plan it out, it would look a lot prettier than you know, what is really typical and practical for me. So I think that that's that's something really important to remember. And I know that that's been brought up a lot too, that that's what I eat in the day videos can be really triggering. I think it's also interesting that the people that take the most interest in those are typically people that are also battling eating disorders.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because one of the main characteristics or symptoms of an eating disorder, disordered eating is a fixation on what other people are eating Right. and also a fixation on what on what you're eating. So a lot of the times people will actually experience obsessive, intrusive thoughts about going over exactly what they ate that day. So if a person is trying to overcome that or avoid those kinds of thoughts, you know, and then they see a what I eat in a day video pop up, it's definitely reinforcing Um, this desire to obsess about everything you eat in a day, or compare it to that person. So I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, to someone who has a healthy relationship with food and is focused on other things, do they really care about every single thing that this person has put in their mouth (laughs) that day? So it's sort of, yeah, very perpetuating.
0: What are some other trends that you've noticed on social media that feed into eating disorders and eating disorders? continuing to go on.
1: Something that I've been aware of recently is just how much holistic nutrition conflicts with eating disorder treatment. And I think that there's no right or wrong way of eating or thinking about food. And I think that if someone has really struggled, then of course, they're going to look to alternative ways of healing. Um, I think that's natural. But I do see it becoming very extreme in terms of what is good and bad. And they use a lot of words like toxic and poisonous. And of course, that's going to create so much fear around foods that when consumed in moderation are not dangerous.
0: Right.
1: So it really feeds into the obsession and sometimes compulsions with choosing only specific types of foods or whether it's organic or all natural or sugar-free or unprocessed. Um, So that's something that I've really been trying to wrap my head around is, is holistic nutrition and its impact on eating disorders.
0: I so appreciate you bringing this up because I could not agree more. And I see a lot of people go from eating disorder to going the functional nutrition route and developing more of like, like a restrictive eating disorder to more of an orthorexia to where it's mm-hmm. like literally the same issues repackaged in a different wrapping paper with a different bow. It's the same eating disorder. And I appreciate you bringing that up because I feel like sometimes people think that they're healing their eating disorder by taking on another form of disordered eating. And while there is t- total benefit from taking a holistic approach to nutrition and healing and recognizing that food is not the only thing that impacts our bodies and our well being. I agree with you that a lot of the language and depending upon the practitioner, the approach can be very extreme and very triggering for somebody who just has that history that maybe hasn't been healed.
1: Exactly. And that's an it's also another way that people have accidentally fallen into eating disorders, like you mentioned before, where Someone will uh, be experiencing some kind of symptom, like say it stomach pain or digestive issues or something like that. They'll go to see a holistic nutritionist and they'll be put on an elimination diet or told to stop eating gluten, dairy, refined sugars and things like that. And then depending on that person's history or just susceptibility to developing an eating disorder, which they wouldn't have any way of knowing about. And the practitioner is certainly not assessing for that either. Right. They will then follow the guidelines of the holistic nutritionist end up being unable to get out of that elimination diet mindset where now they believe that all these foods are harmful. And they're hypersensitive, they're hyper focused on looking for the symptoms of bloating and um, so it just becomes, yeah, it goes into a downward spiral. So I've seen that happen a lot as well.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a big problem. And I think you hit the nail on the head and this can be a whole another podcast topic, but just practitioners not knowing how to properly screen for eating disorders. Cause I see this a lot and just like clients that I work with going to the doctor and their doctor, you know, being like, you know, I'm sorry, your period's missing, but you're a healthy BMI. So don't gain weight. Like that's unhealthy, exactly. you know, and like them planting those seeds and not even realizing like, hey, this person might be exercising for three hours a day. This person may be so terrified of carbohydrates that they never eat them and, you know, or they're struggling with binge eating. And so I, I think that um, it's scary. It's scary. And and I wish that I wish that we could bridge the gap a little bit more. But unfortunately, I think that, that we have a long road ahead of us and we have to kind of be our own advocates there. So it's, it's a tricky place to navigate. You know, for somebody who... <laughs> Social media can be so hard when you're working to heal from an eating disorder in which sometimes it can be helpful to just like take a break, set some really good boundaries. Um, but I think the, the truth of the matter is, is like social media isn't going anywhere. So we kind of have to learn how to like use it to our advantage and have healthy boundaries with it. What would you say your top three tips are for people navigating social media if they're in recovery from an eating disorder or they're really working on healing their relationship with food?
1: I think the first thing is to really learn how to be aware of diet and wellness culture, so that when they see it, they can spot it and they can swipe away, um, even shake their head at it. Keep scrolling, uh, click the not interested button, or even block certain accounts that keep popping up. I know I've blocked accounts where I just I didn't like the message that they were spreading, and I didn't want to see any more of it. But without really knowing. What diet culture is and wellness culture, you can't really do that. So you have to sort of be able to identify whether this is helpful or harmful to your relationship with food.
0: Any suggestions on like how somebody would be able to call it out? Yeah, that's a good question. I think maybe some of
1: the giveaways are when an, an account or a creator is using extreme terms to label foods like good versus bad, toxic poisonous um anyone who's uh, very focused on weight loss who's you know counting calories all these things that are pretty normalized by diet culture but when you are trying to heal your relationship with food you you just kind of have to understand how this isn't helpful so maybe asking themselves also what has helped me and what hasn't helped me and really for each individual person to, Delve deep into what kind of information they've been exposed to, how it's affected them, and what isn't working. That's one way to really target what they will not want to see more of.
0: Super helpful. Another thing that I've heard um, outlined, I think, in the book More Than a Body by Lindsay Luxie Kite is when you come up, because it can get confusing, right? Like, is is this accurate information or is this something, or is this like total garbage? But um, in the book, more than the body, they they said when you're going when you're coming across content to ask yourself is somebody benefiting financially by me believing this to be true? Like, is there something like by me believing the message that my body is not okay (laughs) the way that it is? But what are they pushing? Are they pushing a supplement? Are they pushing their program? Are they pushing something? And so, if someone is financially benefiting from it, that could be another kind of red flag to. Maybe filter out, and and I love that. Uh, you know, we have those options on Instagram to um, restrict, to block. I think um, my favorite newest feature on Instagram is the like report. Like, I don't want to see this anymore, and this is the reason yeah. why. Um, yeah. So If you if you guys don't know that those features exist, they do, and I think they're great.
1: I agree. Also, more than a body, such a great book. It's so it's such a great book. I'd recommend that to anyone who hasn't read it something that just came up as we were talking about this is I've been seeing a lot of ads, not ads, just influencers posting reels about like this green juice that's supposed to cure bloating. And so the first image is it will be of like a bloated belly. And then a lot of different curated aesthetic images of like this dark green liquid. And the more they drink it, they're bloating apparently decreases. And it's just it's something that I probably would have bought into a few years ago, because oh. I was experiencing bloating. Little did I know it was from not eating enough. Right. And now when I see that I'm, I just shake my head. I'm like, this is ridiculous, like that this green substance is going to cure bloating. It's just they're just trying to sell this product to me.
0: Right. And I think that we can... Like I know that so many people listening to this podcast are incredibly smart women. And I think that if we can just think about things logically, then we can, we can sift things out. But I also think that when you are really stuck in disordered eating and eating disorders, that that logic can go out the window because we're so hyper-focused on our body or our food. And I mean, hello, our brains aren't getting the energy that they need, so they can't work the way that they're supposed to. So it's, it's definitely a tricky time. Any other tips that you would give for somebody navigating social media in a healthy and productive way as they're healing from um, disordered eating?
1: I think it's really important to set time limits around social media, because it's something that's so easy. And I even find myself often just picking up my phone randomly. And any time that I'm not focused on something, I'll pick it up as a way to distract myself. It's it's very um it's definitely winning in terms of taking my attention. Mm-hmm. But I also have recognized that the people on social media look very different from people in real life. So when you're scrolling on social media and you're only seeing one type of body and you're not even meaning to, but you're, your brain is being trained to think that this is what my body should look like if you're only being exposed to one image. But when you actually, you know, go to the beach or go to a grocery store or go to the park, the people there don't really, they, they don't look like the people on social media. There are body, all different kinds of body types. And I think that when we're really struggling, like when we're in a bad place and we're at home and we're isolated and we're just scrolling through social media and we're only seeing that, it it really keeps us in that in that place. So we need to expand and get out there and sort of challenge those beliefs.
0: Yeah. And I think, like, it's fair to say, too, that, like, sometimes the people on social media don't even look like what they look like on social media in real life. Exactly. Because you mentioned, you know, only seeing bodies a certain way. Like, people are posing on social media. So, even though they might, you know, not look drastically different in real life, if you're only seeing their body from a certain angle, you're not seeing their, quote, flaws. Also, too, like, Instagram is a highlighted reel. And so you're not posting the photos of you in a swimsuit bent over where there's belly rolls. You're posting the one where, you know, you look like what everyone's trying to look like on social media. So it's such a good point. I also, I think it's interesting what you brought up. I remember whenever I was really still struggling with an eating disorder, how much I tended to just sift out like kind of normal and even larger bodies. And I would only compare myself to people that were my size or smaller. And I know mm-hmm. that that goes on a lot too, when we're stuck in kind of eating disorder land is we just, we don't pay attention to like body diversity and which, you know, really messes with us because then we can't develop an appreciation for bodies of different colors and different sizes and different body compositions. And so I love that idea of just being like, log out of Instagram, go to the park, go to the beach and just take in like what normal bodies look like. I love that tip. That's that's super helpful. You know, I we've kind of been talking using these words like interchangeably and I wish I had like a really formal great definition <laughs> between the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating. But I I know that for me it took some professional support, therapy, dietitian, whole treatment team to heal from my eating disorder. And then it took another six years to heal from disordered eating. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people who get better from their eating disorder, but they get stuck in this quasi-recovery, what I kind of describe my six years of disordered eating. Do you feel that it is possible for someone to ever be 100% recovered from an eating disorder?
1: I do believe it's possible to recover from an eating disorder. I think everyone has a different experience in terms of how much an eating disorder or disordered eating plays a role in their life, either as a coping mechanism or sometimes it's intertwined with their livelihood. For example, dancers or models or personal trainers or or even those in the dietetics industry yeah. sort of have often have this image that they feel like they need to live up to, or just certain beliefs that have been ingrained. So I think it's going to be different for everyone. But we all have to learn how to cope with ongoing triggers, because we live in a society that's obsessed with weight loss and dieting. So it's sort of about how to cope with lapses or feeling vulnerable at times or feeling maybe a sudden onset of eating disorder thoughts, like things are bound to pop up. And it's just sort of about how you respond to that, whether you're in a vulnerable place, you might be more susceptible to getting into those thoughts and behaviors, or you might reach out for support, or you might find a way to cope with whatever is coming up at that time.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I I mean, I'm of the mindset that you can 100% recover. I think that 6 years ago when I was stuck in quasi recovery, I would have said no, you always it always sticks with you. Um but moving beyond that, I I, I agree, I think that you can, but it is like once you're recovered, like you are still in recovery, right? Like you talked Mm -hmm. about having healthy ways to to deal with your triggers because stress, because different seasons where your body changes, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, you know, life. So I think that being aware of your triggers and um, having healthy ways to cope is obviously going to be the way that you get recovered and stay recovered. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that I just know <laughs> was a struggle for me. And I see in my clients that hold them back from recovering their periods and healing from A.J. is just the sphere of weight gain. What are some things, Natalie, that you do in your practice or like what would your top three tips be for somebody who is navigating through the discomfort of weight gain? Like they recognize that it needs to happen, but like it is so scary and it's so uncomfortable. Like, what are some things that you would encourage them to try out or remind them of as they are going through this time?
1: Yeah, fear of weight gain is arguably one of the core features of most eating disorders and disordered eating, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, and other unspecified eating disorders, it all comes down to this fear of weight gain. The first place I go is exploring the roots of where this fear comes from. So this usually results in talking about diet culture as a whole and living in a culture that's obsessed with weight loss and body image and then moving into specific contributors for that person like personal experiences of body shaming fat phobic messages that they may have been exposed to growing up what exactly does weight gain mean for them does it mean losing their family's respect does it mean that they think it'll be harder to meet a partner or form new relationships? Will it interfere with their goals and dreams? So sort of teasing out any belief patterns that might be exaggerated by fear and shame as well. Because when we're coming from a place of fear, our thoughts about weight gain are going to be even more amplified, right? Like, if I gain weight, nobody will like me. That's right. a common one that I get. People will judge me. So it's kind of, it reminds me of being in that sort of tunnel that we were just talking about. Like, when you're on social media and you're only seeing this one world of bodies that look a certain way, but then you step into the real world and there's all types of bodies. It's sort of the same thing with this fear of weight gain where you're trapped in this tunnel and you feel like being thin or staying at the weight that you're at is the, is the only way. When there can certainly be changes to our body and there will be changes to our body throughout our entire lifespan that we're going to have to learn to cope with. So either it's doing the same thing that we always do, which is lean into obsessing, fixing, or avoiding, in other words, eating disorder behaviors, or yeah. we find other healthier ways to cope. So that's the first place that I go. Um, The second place is definitely talking about forming a supportive social network. So talking to friends and family about how they can be supportive to this person, uh, setting boundaries around diet and weight talk, finding clothes that fit comfortably during this process, and most importantly, connecting with other things in life that help them build their self-worth and self-esteem because yes you know you can probably relate to this but when you're when you've been focused on losing weight or being healthy or you've been struggling essentially with disordered eating or an eating disorder it kind of becomes your whole world so you become yes. disconnected from a lot of other things and sometimes low self-esteem and low self-worth is something that leads us to fall into disordered eating mm-hmm. and eating disorders because we has struggle with insecurities, and we feel like if we can just change our body, then that will give us confidence. and it kind of does temporarily in a false sense of sort of way, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely. but i I think the interesting thing, my experience and a lot of people that I've worked with with eating disorders too, will say this that like, even at your smallest, you're most insecure, like, absolutely, like, going to the pool and never taking my cover up off, and yet I'm Mm -hmm. not even at a healthy weight. I just think it's mind boggling to think that we think that these bodies, these goals, etc, are going to bring us all of this, like, Contentment with our bodies, and it just makes us obsessed and putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. So, I love the idea of I think that that is critical for healing from the eating disorders, building your confidence around things that don't have anything to do with your body. And so, exploring what that is for you yeah, that's super yeah. helpful.
1: And also, going back to more than a body, they talk about even when you do get to a place where you like how you look, whether it's in a picture or in the mirror, and you're sort of like relishing in that sense, like, okay, I I like how I look now, or I've got my dream body, you're self objectifying in a way, right? Like you're then deciding, okay, now I'm only worthy because I like the way that I look. So it seems helpful in the moment, but it's not because it's still diminishing yourself to your body and your appearance. So that's something as well, because a lot of clients will say, you know, I really did like my body when I was thinner. And they'll say, I really, it wasn't that I, I didn't like myself back then. I actually did like my body. So, mm-hmm. you know, sure you did, but was it coming from a place of self-objectifying? And was that right. just reinforcing right. this core belief that you can your body has to look a certain way for you to be happy? Right,
0: right. And it really doesn't set you up for success when we know that like, as we age, as we go through life, as we experience life, that our bodies are going to change. And I think that being so stuck and fixated on that certain time, that certain weight, that certain picture, it's just not allowing you to really experience what you were really meant to experience in your body.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think the last thing that I would say about um, helping clients deal with this fear of weight gain is something that I posted Quite a bit on my Instagram is sort of about the feelings, working through the feelings that come up when you're having a bad body image moment, or specifically when you are gaining weight and you can tell and it sets in and you have this huge emotional reaction. Because for a lot of people, weight control has been a form of controlling emotions. Yes. So, when their weight starts to shift, they start to experience these intense, uncomfortable, big emotions. So, if someone, if controlling weight was something that has helped them control their anxiety, and then they see their weight shifting, they may struggle with uncertainty. They might feel totally out of control. Their brain will be telling them that they're going to keep gaining weight forever and ever. And uh, their mind is just blowing it out of proportion because that's what our brain does when we're in fear. So in this case, I would help them lean into that fear and anxiety and acknowledge that this is their body's way of responding to something that they perceive as threatening, which Mm -hmm. is weight gain. They've learned to see that weight gain is threatening, whether it's from the messages they've received, general fat phobia, and anything personal to them. And so their body is essentially saying like, danger, danger, you need to do something. And usually that results in the fight or flight response. Either you're obsessing or you're trying to fix and essentially you're leaning into disorder eating behaviors. So we want to focus on the emotion itself, not the thoughts that are racing through their mind um, or the behaviors that they're feeling an urge to do, but the emotion that's happening in their body, because that is essentially what needs to be released and expressed in order to go away. But when we use an eating disorder behavior, when you're feeling that feeling, it can make that feeling go away in the moment, but it prolongs that fear of weight gain because it's sort of you're using a safety behavior. So where do they feel that emotion in their body? How can they soothe themselves in the moment without turning to fixing or obsessing, whether that's using deep breathing, whether that's using grounding, grounding yourself in the present moment, you know, if you're feeling unsafe, but you look around and nothing else has really changed, you sort of recognize that nothing's nothing's happening, just a big emotion is happening. And when a person can learn to sit with that feeling and breathe through it and validate what they're experiencing and why they're experiencing it, and know that it makes total sense why they'd be experiencing that emotion, it often lessens, it reduces in intensity, sometimes within two hours or it could be 20 minutes. And eventually that emotion is not really that strong anymore. And when they're not, you know, still there fixating on themselves in the mirror, their weight gain, for example, they're moved away, they've moved through that big emotion, it's suddenly not a really big thing anymore, like they can Ah. function and connect with other things. And then in a sense, it's sort of like out of your whole day, you had that one moment in time when you felt this big emotion, and then it was gone. And then you spent the rest of your day focusing on other things that are meaningful. And eventually that increases over time where you have more good days than bad days. And you start to experience life in a way that's not so controlled by the fear of waking.
0: So helpful. This is why this is why therapy is so amazing, right? Like Natalie, all of the things that you've shared already are just so helpful and so spot on. And I, I think that you know people who are struggling with disordered eating, if you are scared to get help or you don't feel like you need it, I am here to tell you that you do need it and things can get so, so much better for you. So if somebody's listening to this, Natalie, and they want to know more about um, you and what you do and like maybe how they could even potentially work with you, what would be next steps?
1: Yeah. So my website is wakeupandsmelltherose.com. And on there, you'll see links to... So I work individually with clients worldwide. I'll provide coaching um, to clients who are working with disordered eating. They've made progress in their journey, and they also have support from doctors or dietitian, or or they've already had that support. I also provide individual psychotherapy to residents of Ontario. And I work with a clinic, an eating disorder outpatient clinic in Toronto, called the Toronto Psychology and Wellness Group, where we work with dietitians and psychologists as well. I also have an online course, which is something that's self paced if people just want to work through yes. things on their own and oh. l- learn coping mechanisms. And they can also receive support from me through the website as well when they're signed up for that course. And of course, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok.
0: I mean, hopefully everyone's already following you on Instagram, but if they (laughs) want to drop your Instagram handle too, and I can add it in the show notes.
1: It's a wake up and smell the rose,
0: which is so catchy. I mean, how can you not (laughs) like remember that and follow that and love that? So you guys make sure you're following Natalie. I will also link um, her website and her course in the show notes if you guys are interested in checking those out. And thank you so much for your time today and all of your wisdom. I truly appreciated having you on today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been so amazing to connect with you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you found this episode to be inspiring or helpful, please share on social media and tag me at food.freedom.fertility. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and a review.